Welcome to Mighty Women, Season 1. Listen in to hear the stories of influential women and get leadership advice you can use in your own career. I'm your host, Riley Herman. Find us on MightyWomenPodcast.com. I love watching Netflix and going to the movies as much as the next person, but other than an actor or actress I particularly like, and watching the Oscars once a year, I've never really thought about what goes into the making of film. Kate Doherty opened my eyes to what happens behind the scenes to make our favorite shows and movies come to life. If you've seen Captain America, House of Cards, or Mindhunter, you've already experienced some of Kate's work. Well, I'm a set designer for uh, feature films and television. Um, also an architect, kind of, but I've really moved more into the set design world. And, you know, I would like to say that my dream was always to be a set designer. And I, you know, followed my path and, you know, achieved that vision. And that's really, my path wasn't that clear. Um, I went to Pitt for my undergrad, had no idea what I wanted to do. I started out thinking maybe I would be a teacher. Then maybe I thought I would be an orthodontist. And I eventually, after a semester in London, landed on architecture but still wasn't sold and still didn't really know what I was going to do. And it wasn't until I I went to grad school for architecture that I really fell in love with it. And the creative process was so cool and like being a part of that. And it was what I realized was it was the storytelling part of architecture that I loved. I was a little bit confused about how a building could tell a story. Kate filled me in. So... When you're designing a building, there's the whole history of architecture and what people think of an architect and what they do is they woke up one morning and they had the vision for the perfect building and they drew it on a piece of paper and it became reality. And in my experience, that hasn't been the case. It's more researching the people and what do the people want and how are they going to use the space and what's the story behind the reason why they want the building and how they're going to use it and kind of letting the building build up around those ideas and the people and their story. And so each building is a story in itself. And so my favorite architects are people who do that, like Rem Koolhaas is one of them and Daniel Liebeskind is another, where his building is one of my favorites and that's the Holocaust Museum in Berlin. And you don't even need, the museum doesn't even need artifacts to tell the story of the people's journey to, like, the concentration camps. It's, the building will tell you everything you needed to know, how the people would feel. And that's just amazing if you can even get a part of that in something you design. How did you go from architecture to set design? I graduated from IIT. I got a master's um, in Chicago. Moved back to Pittsburgh got a job, was working, great firms, good work, good people, and I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. And I think that's something that people our age struggle with, that you want to love your job. You want to really love what you're doing, and I just wasn't there. And one of my friends was a PA on a movie, and he suggested that I try set design. A PA PA is a production assistant, so they're like a runner, you know, kind of the lowest person on the, on the pole. Um, but he was working on this movie in the art department. And he said, you know, they really need set designers. You should try it. And I brushed him off because I said, well, no, I'm going to be an architect. I had fallen in love with this path and telling these stories and doing these buildings. And this was what I wanted to do. 
you know, but I wasn't really getting that. And I didn't know why. And he said, well, you really, you really should try. And so he set me up with an interview with his boss. I totally fell in love with his boss. And he offered me a job on a movie. So I took a leave of absence from the architecture firm I was working at to just go and do this one movie for a few months. Um, and that was a DreamWorks show with the designer who does Mad Men. His name is Dan Bishop. So I was really lucky to just fall into working with one of the best people in the business. And that was eight years ago, and I never went back. <laughs> and I realized that this is what I wanted to do, even though I didn't even know when I was younger or even a year before that it was a thing that you could do. I told Kate that I had never really thought about where the movies I watch come from. She has a unique perspective on everyday things we might not even notice. Yeah, and you don't, and there are a lot of things just in life in general that you don't realize that everything you see is somebody's job. Like somebody thought about that, designed that, decided to put, and whatever object it is, is there for a reason and someone got paid to do it. Um, and realizing that, you know, you can do that and be a part of this world that I never thought I had a place in. Like, I didn't think I would ever work in Hollywood or, you know, work on movies and that it would be my dream. But in the, you know, in hindsight, it totally was. I asked Kate to describe a typical day at work for her, but it seems like there really isn't a typical day. My job as a set designer is to make the director's vision come true. So it's really between the director and the writers that they have what they want the movie to look like, feel like, and they confer with my boss, who's the production designer, and kind of that group of people decides the, the direction for the vision. And my job is to make that vision happen. So depending on who my boss is, sometimes I'll just get a little sketch on a napkin of like, this is kind of what I want it to look like. Or sometimes I'll get, they do a lot of research about if it's a period piece, kind of what the room or space would have looked like at that time. And they'll give me um, images of what it should look like. And then I kind of take all of those pieces and all that information and put it together and try to design a set for all the action to take place in. So I work within the art department, and our job is to, we basically make all of the physical things in the movie that you see, other than the people and the costumes. We don't really work with, the, we work with those people, but it's not really something that is our job. Um, my job in particular, I like to um, describe it as if you took the set upside down and shook it. All the stuff that doesn't fall out is the stuff that I would do. So the walls, the windows, the doors, the architectural um, parts are my job. So if the characters are walking down the street, you design the street? Yeah, so the one part that I do is stuff that's on a stage. And so we build it all from scratch. And um, that's one side of it. The other side is location-based. So that would be stuff that's outside or on a street, or sometimes we'll even use somebody's house or a, you know, a bank or whatever you know, kind of building. And um, 
I did. We did do some streets. I worked on Captain America, um, which was shot in Cleveland. They did all of the outside scenes, basically where they were blowing stuff up. They did it in Cleveland <laughs> because um, DC is like, yeah, I know you're not blowing cars up on our streets. Like that's not <laughs> that is not <laughs> happening. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, bring it on. Great. We'll we'll shut down the city and let you do that. So. Um, my job at that point was the director and um, my boss, the production designer, would choose the streets they were going to use, but then I would have to go after the fact and comb through the street and make sure that there wasn't anything in it that looked like Cleveland. So we had to make sure that all the little details said, said Washington, D.C. and not Cleveland, Ohio. So those guys are doing the big picture and then we come in and do the little things the little picture the little details that really sell it um, so we did down to the we changed all of the street signs if there was any business sign that was obviously Cleveland we changed that so I was working on that show with the graphic designer who does all the signage and the, those kinds of things um, about what size everything needed to be and kind of a general design for that um, so the job's really varied. It can be very architectural, where you're drawing a building, to like walking up and down a street, like taking notes on like what different signs are. I feel like asking someone if you can borrow their house for a movie would be kind of a weird conversation. Do you do that? So there's a whole department that they're the locations department, and they um, at the beginning usually before anyone else in the crew starts. It's the locations department and the director and the production designer driving around town looking for different things. So they call them scouts, and the scouts will go out first, and they'll take pictures and talk to people, and they're really charming. (laughs) And um, and some people say no, um, but most people, especially in Pittsburgh, are excited to be a part of it, Um, and they're paid you know, to have their their house reused. And they're ta- really well taken care of. They'll put you up in a hotel or whatever if it's your house. And, um, you know, sometimes we want to change the location. For example, there was a house in Shadyside we used for a TV show. And in the script, the um, main character had an office that was, like, built in a garage that was kind of outside, but that was his, like, cool office. So the people had a garage, but it was nothing. It was just, you know, they don't, I don't even think they put cars in it. So we changed the garage into this guy's office with these really cool French doors and open beams, and it was beautiful. And then the people said, oh, could, could we just keep it? So we designed it, designed it in a way that it was permanent, and oh, wow. it would stay, and then they got to keep it. That's so, cool. so, yeah, there are perks to it, and people get excited about it. And not every location will work. Sometimes if the homeowner is, you can just tell that it's, it's a, it, it would work well, but they're just not the type of person that can open their home to hundreds of people traipsing through it for <laughs> a few I weeks. Feel like the bank has to be hard because there's probably like security rule. You know what I mean? Like I feel like banks would be weird because they have money. And yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot. A lot of times we'll choose a place that they want, and then you think it's going to work out, and then for some reason the legal, you know, teams can't make a deal on 
safety clearances and all that kind of thing. So usually they try to do it with abandoned um, locations. We used a bank downtown um, for a movie called Last Witch Hunter that shot here. Um, The main character's apartment was actually the lobby of the bank, Um, but the bank had been abandoned. At the time of that filming, I was working at a homeless shelter in downtown Pittsburgh, less than a block away from that bank. I told Kate how a bunch of the residents in our shelter were super excited and wanted to try to get Vin Diesel to come in and visit. Well, it's funny because people, you know, this isn't Hollywood, so people get really excited here. And in, in L.A., it's not that way. If there's a mo- like a movie shooting, people are just annoyed by it, you know, at, at this point. But in Pittsburgh, it's still a novelty and it's still cool and it's slightly annoying because sometimes a street gets shut down or... You know, there are bright lights at night or something. But, you know, they, they try to make sure that everyone knows what's happening. Everyone, you know, is aware. And I think they do a really good job. Um, but people do really get excited. And it's so cool to be a part of that. Um, there was a movie that shot here last summer that I didn't work on, but uh, Denzel Washington was in it. And, you know, sometimes the stars of the movies are, you just, you never see them. They just kind of appear, do their thing, and leave, or they're not a part of it. But he was also directing. So he was a part of it, and he was out and about. And, you know, when they would be driving around town to go see these locations and, you know, look at it, people <laughs> would see him, like, walking into a building, jump out of their car, leave it running in the middle of the street, and run in and... and they just wanted to meet him and be a part of it and talk to him. And he was so gracious and he would always say hi and sign something or talk to them. And so it's, it's really a very varied experience. You just ne- never know what you're going to get. Because of tax credits provided by states for the film industry, more and more is being done here in Pittsburgh. Traditionally, all the movies are made in Hollywood. Um, but within the past maybe like 10 years, I'm not sure exactly how long, but um, different states started doing incentives to get the movies to come and shoot there. So they the shows get a giant tax break to shoot in Pennsylvania. New Orleans is another really big one. Atlanta is a big one. Um, and so they have this incentive to come here. And they love coming here. And they keep coming back and they love the the crew here because of this uh, incentive has developed. And so we actually have a really solid filmmaking crew. Um, And we're just as good as, you know, the ones in California. But it's because of this tax credit. And they've done studies that show that these tax breaks that the state is giving explode with the amount of work that happens and the amount of money that comes into the state. It totally makes sense. Um, so I get to be the beneficiary of that. And there's so much work in Pittsburgh that I don't even have to leave. I have, I did House of Cards for three years in Baltimore. Um, but that was mostly because that was such a great opportunity to work on a show like that, that, you know, I would travel. And I like traveling for work and I also like staying home too. What obstacles have you faced so far, and how have you overcome those? I think my, the biggest obstacle, is, and it's probably somebody that ever, something that everybody faces, is my own self-confidence. You know, that I, my ideas are good and that my work is good. 
And I was lucky when I was young to have a really good family and teachers that loved what I did. You know, I was really creative and I was drawing and doing a lot of that kind of artistic stuff when I was younger and when I was in high school. And, you know, when you're at that age, you, you don't think anything you do is good, you know. And my my parents and my the, the teachers were like, oh, yeah, 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 this is great. This is great. Keep going. And then moving into you know, college and grad grad school especially. I loved grad school. And we just had such a good group of other people motivating each other. And to have that around you, those people saying like, no, your ideas are really great. You know, you're you're awesome. It means so much. And people probably don't even realize how much we all need it, like between each other, like that, um, confidence and that camaraderie you know with with other people who you respect what's the best part of your job the people and I you know I it's funny that those two questions just lead right into each other Um, but everybody always asks what's the favorite show you did you know what was your favorite thing set you designed and you know I always think about when I'm trying to decide what was my favorite it's always about the people that were around me at the time. You know, the, my favorite set I ever did was one of the first ones, and it was a tree where people's stolen memories are kept. And it was very sculptural, and there wasn't a really good way to make construction drawings of it. Normally, I make very architectural type drawings with, you know, dimensions and molding and they're very particular that show the carpenters how to build it but this set in in specific you just couldn't there was it was it was hard to do that so they said well Kate why don't you just go down into the shop with the guys and build it so we ordered four semi truck loads of foam blocks stacked them up so that they were taller than me this is, so it was a big cube of foam and then carving it out we carved it out with chainsaws and so I was down there on the floor with the guys and they were just so fun to work with and really good and I think I I loved that set because I loved that experience you know it wasn't the set itself you know when you look at pictures of it it's like cool but it was that it was like you know working with people problem solving and figuring out okay how are we going to do it what's going to look the best that was the most fun. What movie is that in? That, it was on, it was that first show I did, it was called Lock and Key and it never aired. So no one has ever seen it. Yeah, which is, that happens, happens a lot that we'll design a whole set and it doesn't get seen or, you know, they ended up focusing on the people's faces the whole time and you just, you know, there's like blurry, we always joke that the art department does the blurry stuff in the background. <laughs> you know, and then my other favorite, one of my other favorite shows I've worked on is House of Cards, and we've won a lot of awards for the work that we've done, and it's, the sets are gorgeous. But it comes back around to the people, and I loved going down there because I just really loved working with those guys. What practices have helped you grow as a leader in your field? In general, it's always been a work-life balance. And even when I was in grad school or looking at schools and really into architecture, 
I always had it in the back of my head, or just as a, as a part of my being, really, that this isn't everything, you know? And I looked at a few schools for architecture, and the one I thought I really wanted to go to, I had an interview with the guy who ran the school, and he gave me this whole speech about how I should live and breathe architecture, and it should be the only thing I think about and the only thing I love, and I just thought, that is crazy. There is so much more to life. Like, what can I bring to the table as a designer if I don't know people and if I don't have any other interests or, you know, anything else to inspire me? So I think it's really been doing other things that aren't design to keep me excited about life. Yeah, it makes you better. I, I, really, I really feel like the people who have something else going on, they're the really successful ones. And it was really cool to start working in the movie business where, you know, with people who are a big deal. And people would assume that, oh, they must live and breathe their profession. And they do sometimes. Like while you're at work, you're living and breathing it. But you start talking to them about what they're doing in their time off. And we do get, so we work very intensely on a show. And it usually for a movie, it maybe takes like four months um, for me to do my part of it. And then I'll be off for a few months. And most people have a schedule like that where you're on for a few and you're off for a few, which is a huge perk um, if you budget your time right and your money. And um you talk to these people about, well, what are you doing on your time off? And they all have something crazy that they're really into, whether it's climbing glaciers or, you know, some video documentation business. I mean, it, and it's always something that you would never guess by their job of what they do. What keeps you motivated on days that are really challenging? Well, it comes back to the work-life balance and the people. You know, sometimes we just have a really rough day where nothing's going right <clears throat> and people are frustrated. And then we always try to get together at lunch. And so we'll sit around the conference table and laugh about it. And, you know, and I think we have a good group of people that, that we that work together. And sometimes people from the other departments will have to close the door because we're laughing too hard. <laughs> and so I think like not taking things too seriously, um, you know, and if you make a mistake, it's fine, you know, and it, you're, you're going to live, it's all going to be okay. And, um, you know, we all will joke and we'll say, oh, you've ruined the movie. <laughs> the movie's ruined now. <laughs> uh, but it's not, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, and then everybody's got their pictures on their wall of their, you know, their things they're going to do. Um, I've gotten really into playing polo. So I have, I just went to Argentina for two months and worked on a polo farm in my time off. And so I've got pictures of the farm up on the wall and my friends there and the horses and, you know, it's rough to work 12 hours a day and it's tiring and I love it. The work is so good, but you get tired. And so just to remember that it's going to get better. You're going to get a few months off. You're going to go play some polo or do whatever that you love to do. 
and then the movie's going to come out, and then you're going to get to see the result of all that hard work you did. And it's so rewarding to see the story all come together. And it comes back to that storytelling thing. And it's like, I, I got to be a part of that. That's so cool. Yeah, and what you do is so important, like, to make it look real. Like, you, I feel like you're what makes it, makes it real. Like, authentic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there are, it's so funny now that I know the little tricks that they do. It's almost hard to watch TV, you know, because you said, you say, oh, they didn't even, like, th- for example, um, you can, most, like, bricks on a wall aren't real bricks. They You can buy a sheet of, like, um, it's kind of this cardboard material that looks like in the shape of bricks and you just staple it to the wall and then paint it brick colored and you can you can do that. And so now when I watch and I see that, I'm like, oh, I've seen that brick in the catalog. They just stapled it to the wall. Like that's the lazy way to do it. Um, whereas, you know, if you're working on another show where they really want to get it really detailed, they'll make all the bricks individually. And, you know, and the carpenters will, will build them and then the plasters will come and plaster them and put all the little kind of marks and dimples in the bricks and the mortar and they just get it just so perfect. And so just knowing those nuances of it and being proud that you're a part of it and then to watch watch it and see like, oh yeah, we did all, and nobody cares, you know? <laughs> like the general viewer doesn't care about the bricks on the wall, um, but we do, and I think that's what makes it fun. What do you think is your greatest accomplishment so far? So there are the awards, you know, that people are proud of. I've been lucky enough to work on shows to be nominated by the Art Directors Guild, I think four times we've won we won an art director's award um, for house of cards for the production design and to go to la and to be at this big dinner where they're celebrating all the people and announcing the winners it's you know and there's the red carpet and you're sitting in a room with all these people that have done really cool stuff and you get to see they're like people who've been working for disney and since you know, they were young and now they're old and they show all the work that they've done and you kind of look around and you're like, I'm part of this is really cool. Um, But really it's the little things and the relationships that I've built and, you know, the original guy who um, kind of took me under his wing and taught me everything I know. I always say he's like the super cool uncle I never had. Um, And that's really rewarding. But also the... Um, the money and the time off that I've had in set design, I've been able to buy my own property. And um, so I have two buildings in Lawrenceville um, that I renovated and now have apartments. And I've um, kept the rents low-ish. Um, and for people who don't know, um, Lawrenceville is a neighborhood in Pittsburgh that is getting gentrified really fast and the rents are going up so high that most of my friends can't afford to live there anymore there people are having to move and um, the little old people that I fell in love with when I moved to the neighborhood are all getting pushed out Um, so it's really rewarding for me that I have been able to 
grab a part of it and kind of um, keep it so that people I know can still afford to live there. And so that was a really grueling experience, renovating these buildings and going through the whole construction process. But now that it's all done, it's so rewarding to know that I did it. What's the biggest challenge for women in this industry? That's a hard one to answer. Um, there's a lot of stuff going around right now about the film industry and women, which I'm not going to get into, mostly because it hasn't affected me. And I haven't seen really women struggle, you know, a lot. It's mainly, it's a human struggle. And we just, for example, um, the movie I'm working on right now, it's actually a Netflix TV show. It's season two of Mindhunter, which I also did season one. Um, but we looked around the office just last week and we said, this is like mostly girls. And no one tried to make it that way. It wasn't some initiative like, oh, we need to have more women in the industry. It just happened. you know. And I think it's just... If you're good at your job, you're and you're going to get hired, and it's not about whether you're a woman or a man. Yeah. It's just as a human, just to be at the top of your game, and it'll work out. And that's challenging, right? Because it's a very competitive. It's very, it's very competitive. You know, the hardest part is really getting your foot in the door, um, and then after that is maintaining a high level of functionality at work and you know it's all word of mouth so you get hired by word of mouth so if every designer I work with is a usually different person there are a few that I've worked with a couple of times but you know when they're starting a new project they just call their friends and they say hey who's good and then, you know, if you if you had a bad couple of weeks where you weren't doing well, then that person's not going to recommend you. And then it just, you know, the domino effects. So, you know, the struggle of being really alert and on it all the time is hard. What advice do you have for someone interested in going into architecture and set design? I think that what is important is to love it and to get really good at something. And the, the field is so big, and, and you have to know a lot of things and do a lot of things, um, especially in architecture. But if you just pick one of them and get really good at it and very passionate about that one thing, um, I think that leads to a lot of success. And that's what I've noticed about people who work in the film business is kind of like me, they never dreamt of working in in film or making movies. They just got really good at a specific skill. And then someone said, oh, hey, I know a guy who can do that. And they brought him in or her in. And then they just do that thing really well. And that's what propels them. And so I think the advice I have is to not worry too much about the big picture and knowing everything and being able to do everything but just pick one and for me it was learning a program really well and when I was in grad school it's this 3d modeling program called SketchUp and it's really 
nothing fancy. It can't render beautiful pictures. It's just you make a, a model and it looks cartoony. Um, so in grad school, it was like not a joke, but like people were just like, oh, I'm going to because they wanted to make photorealistic renderings. And, and I just but I really liked it. And I thought it was a cool program. And I figured out ways to make I would make my drawings look the way I wanted them to make, but they were always a little bit like cartoony and, you know, um, they didn't look real, but I didn't care. Um, and I just kept working with this program and then I got really good at it and very confident with it that I felt like I, I could do anything anyone asked me to do like in that program. And um, then that was my in to the set design world because they're, um, it's very traditional craft, so a lot of the people who do it still draw with a pencil and hand draft, and their drawings are amazing and beautiful. But um, people were starting to want 3D models, and I was able to do that, and this program is the perfect tool for set design, especially 3D modeling for set design. I didn't know it at the time when I was in grad school, I just liked it. Yeah. Um, but there was something in me that was like, this is really cool, just go for it. And I, no one else was doing it. It was like, I was like the weird one that insisted on using you know, SketchUp when everyone else was rendering in 3D Studio Max or Maya or whatever. Um, and I didn't care. I didn't care what other people thought. Like, I just got good at that one thing. That was my thing. And then that's what pushed me into the set design world because no one else did it. If you want to learn more about Kate's work, you can visit her website at studio-k8. That's studio-k8.com. Mighty Women is recorded and produced in Pittsburgh. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mighty Women Podcast. And check back weekly for new episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud.